well, interesting in the providence of the Lord. <laughs> Today, we are going to be looking, interestingly, in both services this morning and this evening concerning a relationship with civil government. Much of this has been on the hearts of many of us. And so it's interesting that both we will hear in terms of the text this morning and also in our series this evening, we are on Peter's view of the relationship of the believer to civil government. So anyways, <laughs> it might provoke a lot of discussion, and that is good. <laughs> that is good. Listen to Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 29. Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 29. We looked at 14 through 16 last week. Now we will continue. King Herod heard of it, and Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. And others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to, be, wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was gladly, greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you ask, wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceeding sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison. And he brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. And his disciples heard of it, 
they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Congregation, let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we are looking at the cost of the gospel, the cost of the prophetic voice going forth into the world. We ask for hearts of conviction this morning and that we would have hearts of steadfastness to the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. If you connect your own life to the text this morning, it may be very chilling and difficult to think about. It is quite a gruesome and extremely uncomfortable event. For Mark, since the initial call of the first four disciples in the very first chapter, the cost of discipleship now reaches a pinnacle in the life of John the Baptist. Many questions could be asked at this point. If John knew his comments about Herod and Herodias would bring his beheading would he have made those comments? If he in fact thought that his comments would lead to death, it seems that he was a man of unwavering conviction. Put yourself in a similar situation. Would you clearly point out serious sin to someone who is in control of whether you will live or whether you will die. Are you squirming? It's not easy to think about, is it? Maybe all of us would rather not think about it. Maybe you are saying, I know the story of John the Baptist. Let's move on to the next event in Jesus' life, the feeding of the 5,000, which follows this, and pass this event very quickly, but not so fast. Mark spends a lot of ink on this story about John the Baptist. He and Matthew give the most dissertation about this event in the synoptic gospels as well as the gospel of John. So it has profound meaning here in terms of the time that John, that Mark gives to John for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you see that Herod embraces the false identity of Jesus being John the Baptist raised from the dead Mark now presents how John the Baptist was executed. Remember, we pointed out in terms of the narrative, you find out the end at the beginning. We looked at that last week. And then now, he is going to present how it happened. Let me begin by reminding you of the two women 
displaying and being surrounded by saving faith. The woman with the bleeding disorder and Jairus' daughter. In contrast to the women of faith, now Mark presents the dominating and vicious actions of a strong female over a weak Roman ruler. Many biblical scholars draw a connection between Herod and Herodias in the New Testament and Ahab and Jezebel in the Old Testament. Like Jezebel's relationship with Ahab, Herodias dominates the weak personality of her ruling husband. She is the one who demands John's arrest and subsequent placement in prison. She was strongly offended by John declaring that the word of the Lord, declaring that the word of the Lord in relationship to her marriage, concerning the creational marriage mandate of a man and a woman coming together as one flesh, as well as violating the law of God connected with that mandate that one is not to live in adultery, or marry one's brother's wife. No one was going to call Herodias out or try to embarrass her own life choices. She is now married to the ruler of Galilee. So who is this lone, obnoxious voice who attacks the royal privilege of her marriage? and her own freedom to do as she wishes. Who is he? He has no power. Power resides in Rome and in her husband. Not some loud-mouthed religious fanatic that has hung out in the wilderness, a weird and bizarre man that does not deserve to be heard. Thus, Herodias uses her position of personal power and privilege to publicly shut his mouth about her sinful marriage in violation against the sovereign God of creation, a God that she doesn't even believe actually exists. Mark is showing you the depth of a depraved heart against the truth of God's word and the gospel in this woman, you are face to face with a very evil heart. Now, congregation, as we unpack this, do not forget where we are in Mark's narrative. The apostles have been sent out by Jesus. And this story appears here, right after the apostles are sent out. Yes, right here. Although the apostles are not in the home of Herod and Herodias, Mark is explaining to you in the beheading of John how sinful, depraved hearts 
will respond to the gospel going out into the world, including the highest places of powers and authority within human governments who think they have the power to eliminate the gospel. Did not God preserve true believers in Lenin and Stalin's Soviet Union, in formerly Mao's China, and you can go on and on throughout world history and the attempt to eliminate the gospel. Hopefully everyone here this morning knows by virtue of the power of the Holy Spirit in your own heart, it is impossible, it is impossible to silence the gospel upon the lips of true believers in Jesus Christ. Christ's redemption applied by the Holy Spirit is more powerful than any human government. Well, back to Herodias. In her finite, narcissistic, arrogant, and vengeful, persistent resentment against John. Yes, Herodias' persistent heart of hatred wanted John put to death. Verse 19 of our text. But how could this be accomplished? She had a roadblock. She had a roadblock, and that roadblock was her own partner in adultery, her illegitimate husband. Only he had the power and the authority as ruler to put John to death. Yes, her selfish desire was being prevented because Herod feared John. Verse 20. And do not miss why he feared John. The text tells it. Because he viewed John as a righteous and holy man. And thus he kept him safe. Herod's fear has the meaning here of being afraid of him. In the sense of a reverent fear of confusion. Because he did not understand the religious connotations of John's speech. And yet he was willingly pleased to hear at least what he was saying. Yes, indeed. Perplexed. Confused. But willing to listen. In Herod and Herodias, we have two. Two different receptions to God's word declared by John. One is a cognitive with the mind reception to the word that is perplexing and confusing. But which is willing to be heard. That's Herod. And we have a profound hate for the word and the person who delivered it. That's Herodias. In terms of how things turn out, congregation, do not assume that Herod's more gracious stance will win the day. It will not. 
the conviction of God's word and the gospel must be more penetrating than a cognitive with your mind listening to it by the human ear. It must take root. The word of God must take root by supernatural action into the heart and soul of a human being. Thus the apostles and we in the church need to understand this opposition as the good news goes into the world even before human governments. So what evolves here in God's providence concerning Herod's action to keep John safely in his prison? Well, his birthday comes. His birthday comes in which he throws a lavish banquet for his nobles. Who are these? These are men of his inner circle. He also invites the commanders of his military. They get to come. But also in terms of the area in which he is governing, in Galilee, he brings the distinguished nobles from Galilee as well, he invites them. Verse 21 of your text. Well, you know the rest of the story. Herodias's daughter, to her first marriage, entered the festive banquet and danced. From the writings of Josephus, we know her identity as Salome who was still under the control and influence of her mother. It is safe to say that her dancing style would not resemble the graceful motions of Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. And for some of you young people, if you don't know who those are, your parents can show you it on YouTube. <laughs> In fact, dancing in Roman culture at this time was viewed as indecent. And thus it is safe to say that it was seductive to the eyes of her male audience. Her performance was received by a pleasing attitude of pleasure by Herod's honored guests, verse 22. Herod was so pleased with her performance and how much his guests enjoyed it that he took an oath, a vow, before her, which later on he seemingly lives to regret. You see it there in 22 and 23. Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. Whatever you ask of me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. At this point, <laughs> the drama builds. <laughs> You're connected to the story. In one sense, you're saying, if you don't know anything else yet about the story, you're thinking, what is she going to ask for? Wow, up to half the kingdom. That would be a lot of prestige in the realm of Galilee. 
being still under the influence of her mother, she goes to her and asks, what should I ask? With independent wealth and fame being placed right there at at her daughter's feet, up to half his kingdom. What does her mother ask for? The head of John the Baptist. You are seeing how obsessive, how neurotic, how intense hating and despising someone and the gospel can be. Presented with such an option, virtually every single sinful human being would ask for something that secures their own personal wealth. And yet, in this incident, she wants the head of the Baptist. No wonder Biblical scholars match her personality with Jezebel in the Old Testament. But do not lose sight of the actual disposition of Herodias. She has a personal deep-seated loathing against God's word declared by the Baptist about her own personal lifestyle and she is not going to allow him to get away with it plus she she has been waiting for the opportunity to silence and to terminate him wow the opportunity is now placed right before her now watch don't miss it The vicious heart of the mother has been passed on to the daughter. The vicious heart of the mother has been passed on to the daughter. She, in immediate haste and speed, Mark uses his important word, immediately, returns to Herod and asks at once, the text says, the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Verse 25. I never actually myself personally ever noticed this before in terms of preparing for this message. Notice Herodias asks, To her mother's request, excuse me, Herodias' daughter adds to her mother's request for the head of John the Baptist to be placed on a platter. On a platter. That was not what Herodias asked for. She just asked for the head of John the Baptist. The daughter adds on the platter. 
Yes, this banquet feast in which evil is clearly on display. A banquet in which the spirit of the evil one, Salome, plays on the atmosphere of the banquet and demands for John's head on a platter, like a platter of food, a clear outburst of hostility and hate and humiliation against the one who is the final Old Testament prophet inaugurating the coming of the eternal kingdom of God and his righteousness. The daughter is as wicked as her mother. There's no repentance here. Only vindictive, spiteful violence. Well, (laughs) Herod is now caught amid his own oath before his most honored guests. He believes he has no choice. He must keep his oath for the integrity of his reign. Mark notes that Herod was exceeding sorry about his vow in relation to his request in verse 26. The literal Greek has the meaning deeply crushed by grief. Remember, he feared John, viewing him as righteous and holy, and he was keeping him safe. Interestingly, Mark uses the Greek word deeply crushed by grief only twice in his gospel. Here, with respect to Herod's heart, to the evil request about John, and secondly, interesting, with respect to Jesus' piercing agony in Gethsemane concerning his death, 1434. Herod acts, here's the word again, immediately. The executioner proceeds to behead John, putting it on a platter and giving it to Salome, who in turn gives it to Herodias. The contrast between the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God is right here, congregation, before your own eyes. In terms of the path of the kingdom of God, it does not look so inviting, does it? For our path in the kingdom of God. This passage isn't so inviting, is it? How solid is our commitment to Jesus the good news, the gospel of the kingdom. In terms of the apostles, is the path of Mark's narrative gripping your heart. Only Mark's gospel structures the gruesome death of John between Jesus sending out his apostles 
verses 7 through 13, and the apostles returning to Jesus with their report, verse 30. Remember the sandwich. (laughs) Remember the sandwich. This text is right between those two events. Mark is the only gospel that puts it there between those two events. The cost of being an apostle could not be clearer. Just as John was executed for proclaiming the word of God. Likewise, that threat will follow the apostles, their message, their service for Christ into the early church and beyond into the post-apostolic church. Yes, the blood of Christian martyrs will be spilled upon the face of the earth as their lives spiritually and vertically transcend the earth. That's your life. If you're in Christ, it transcends the earth. With this text right before you, let me ask you why it is, why is it that so many evangelical Christians are looking to the American Constitution to protect their rights and then afterwards then afterwards they will rest their faith in the comforting arms of Jesus in life and death. It is not to the American Constitution that we confess, I am not my own but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That beautiful first question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism. Elijah, the Old Testament preview of John, came to understand this truth as the evil heart of Jezebel, a Canaanite, a worshiper of Baal, the wife of an Israelite king, Ahab, attempted but failed to kill him. We read about that in 1 Kings 19, 1 and 2 this morning. John the Baptist came to understand that he belonged body and soul to his faithful Savior, Jesus, the one he was sent to baptize for the sake of the kingdom of God and its arrival on earth. Yes, John the Baptist, the New Testament Elijah, will be executed under the dominant Gentile government in the world at the time of Christ. 
Rome. As we peer into the evil heart of Jezebel's resemblance in the vicious, horrible hearts of Herodias and Salome, the second Elijah's voice will be silenced. It will be silenced by being beheaded in the providence of God. Yes, the voice of the Old Testament prophets are no longer needed because they are presently exceeded by the voice and message of our Savior, Jesus, his apostles, and the preaching of the word until Christ comes again. Do we understand this? There is nothing in the American Constitution that grants or guarantees your divine and eternal right to Jesus' kingdom. Absolutely nothing. Such a right and privilege is only granted by sovereign, undeserving grace in which you are declared right before God only, only by the atoning blood of Christ's righteousness. That's it. Finally, you do not want to miss Mark's comment about John's burial. Mark describes the burial of John in the same manner he describes Jesus' burial with the phrase, laid him in a tomb. They match. Jesus's, excuse me, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Verse 29 of our text. Joseph of Arimathea, described as a man looking for the kingdom of God, laid him, Jesus, in a tomb, 1546. But something extraordinary, extraordinary occurs with respect to the, to, to the tombs. John's placement in the tomb by his disciples point to the finality, the finality of all the true prophets that troubled many a king in Israel and Judah, whose lies ended being silenced and placed in the tomb. But the tomb in which Jesus was laid by Joseph of Arimathea is much different. That tomb of the one who fulfilled the Old Testament office of the true and persecuted prophet will in three days be found empty. Be found empty. 
because he rose from the dead. His voice, the voice of the Christ, will not be silenced. It will go forth throughout the ages faithfully by the Holy Spirit solidifying the body of Christ. The kingdom of God has truly arrived in Christ and the final age to come has begun and we are in it. You are in it if you are in Christ. And no nation, no government can take away from anyone who lives in repentance and faith in Jesus. Well, as you look at the text this morning, as it addresses each of us in the church of Jesus Christ. Do you know the cost? Will you live the cost? Let's pray for help. Christ, you are the one who is our mediator. Thou art the one who has been exalted to the right hand of the Father. Thou art the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We ask that in sending your spirit upon the church, even our own congregation, that we which stand faithful, bold, and strong for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. May our hearts not compromise the truth of that gospel and help us to understand that as we go forth into the world, the cost may be great. May we stand strong in our faith in Christ Jesus, that which thou hast placed in us through thy spirit. Protect us in thy providence, our sovereign Father in heaven, in Christ's name, amen.